morning. It's pretty pathetic. Good morning. Glad to see all your smiling faces and happy new year to everyone. Uh, I don't think we're having kids church. Is that right? Anyone going back there? Okay, no. Kids, you're going to stick around with us. Uh, No worries. It'll be good and fun and informational and transforming. So kids, stick around with us uh, this morning. Uh, For those of you who are, uh, well, everyone's sticking around, so everyone's here who is here. Uh, If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. Um, We are going to begin a new series uh, for the foreseeable future entitled God's uh, God's Way to Growth, or Growth, God's Way. Um, It's a bit of a change from what I had intended to do, but I feel like uh, God is leading us in this direction. And so if you have your text, that's a great thing. Uh, Turn with me to Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. If you don't have your Bible, uh, that's fine. The text will be up on the screen. Um, So as you're turning, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to begin this morning. Let's do this before we jump into God's Word. Uh, Let's uh, let's bow our heads and uh, let's pray and ask for receptivity and uh, for God to come and change us. Father, uh, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to sing songs um, to you. And Father, we believe with our heart, as we've sung with our lips in this song, that you are in the midst of doing something uh, here at Grace Bible Church, that you're in the midst of uh, doing something in Cisna Park and uh, surrounding communities and, and, Father, in our nation and in our world. Um, you are a global God and that you are a missional God and that you intend uh, to uh, spread the gospel of your great son, uh, Jesus Christ, in his life, in his death, in our place for our sins, in his resurrection. Uh, and you intend that it would be proclaimed and lived out amongst all peoples of all places and even here in Cisna Park and even in our very own lives and in our family and in our circle of friends and at work. Father, you desire to invade um, our world with the gospel of Christ. And you intend and you desire to do it through us. And so, Father, this morning, as we take a look at uh, churches that are healthy, as we take a look at churches that are growing, Father, as we take a look at churches that are faithful um, to you and to your mission, I pray uh, that your spirit would be among us. Spirit, would you please come and speak through me? Would you empower me? Would you uh, guard me against speaking that which is not true? Would you enable me to speak accurately your word? And Father, I pray for all of us, including myself, that are here in this place, that we would have open hearts. Father, that our minds that are full of things to do and past activities and present responsibilities and uh, everything that is on our mind. I pray, Father, now that we would set that aside and that you would help us to focus upon you and to focus upon your word and what it is that you would have to say to us and how you might change us through your word. And so we ask that you would do that. We ask for your presence. Jesus, we ask that you would have been well-pleased with our songs, and not just with the song of our lips, but the song of our lives. I pray that our worship would be well-pleasing to you. We do thank you. We love you. We're grateful for the new year. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I've said uh, before, we're going to be doing a new series uh, called Growth, God's Way. And uh, through, I think, a couple divinely placed uh, conversations, um, I've decided uh, that I would like for us to pursue this goal this semester. What I'd like for us to do, and what we'll be doing for the foreseeable future, is this. Um, We're going to be walking through the New Testament, excluding the Gospels. And so we're going to begin uh, with the book of Acts. And what I've been doing in preparation and what we'll be doing for the weeks ahead is basically kind of walking through the New Testament, beginning at the book of Acts, and asking this question, 
What are some of the characteristics of churches that are healthy? Uh, What are some of the characteristics of churches uh, that are growing? Uh, What are some of the characteristics of churches that are faithful to the gospel? What do they do? What are some of their practices? Uh, What are some of the things that they don't do? Uh, What are some of the things that they avoid? Uh, And my hope is that we can paint a portrait for you of a healthy, growing church that experiences growth God's way. Because I think we would all agree that uh, as, as members here at Grace Bible, we desire that our church and that the church of Jesus Christ uh, in our county and in the world uh, grow and be healthy and the gospel go forth and really uh, that lives would be impacted. I think all of us desire that. And so I began to think, you know, let's take a look at what these churches do. I mean, what do they do? What characterizes them? How can we imitate them? And so my hope and my prayer for us this year uh, for, sh- for sure is that we would not only learn about characteristics and, and things that, that healthy growing churches do, but that we would actually begin to implement them, that we would actually begin to do them, and that we would allow God's word to infiltrate our lives and to infiltrate our churches so that we would experience too growth God's way. And so this morning, we're going to see part one, and I don't know, there will be several parts, but part one uh, of Growth God's Way is this. The first characteristic that I think we see, and we're going to begin at the very uh, beginning of the book of Acts, the first trait, if you will, if you're taking notes, is this. Churches that experience growth God's way know their mission. They know their mission. And they not only know their mission, but they actually participate. They actually fulfill. They actually take on the mission that God has given them. And so characteristic number one, growing churches know their mission. Uh, Most of you, I think probably all of us, are familiar uh, in some way, shape, or form with the old uh, TV show that then became a Hollywood blockbuster movie. In fact, three movies, I think. Mission Impossible, right? Who has seen maybe the old school Mission Impossible TV shows? Okay, several of you. How many of you have seen the new movies? I think there are three. I'm not sure. I lose count. Okay, Uh, many of you have seen the movies as well with Tom Cruise uh, as the star. We're familiar um, with Mission Impossible. Um, in the old school ones, and I think in the new ones as well, when the agents, when they receive their missions, remember what happens? There's this, uh, like back in the day, there's like a tape player, if you know what I mean, and he hits, you know, play. And the agent, the other, you know, big boss guy comes on, and he says these words. He says, your mission, should you choose to what? Accept it. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. And then they go on to say whatever the mission is according to the scene or the movie, right? And then at the end, uh, the tape always says what? This tape will self-destruct in, in five seconds, right? And then in the old school ones, it's like a poof, you know what I mean? And there's a cloud of smoke and it self-destructs. I think that probably happens in the new ones as well. Um, and then the agent is then left with his mission. He's left to choose, accept his mission, or to not accept his mission. I think every time, 
They do, except their mission. Um, as I begin to think about the beginning of the book of Acts, and as I begin to think about how the book of Acts begins, it's actually very similar to the Mission Impossible idea. It's very similar to what happens in Mission Impossible because uh, the, the disciples are gathered, uh, Jesus has been resurrected, he's been revealing himself for 40 days, and he's about to give his followers their mission. He's about to give them their little tape player, so to speak, so that they hit play and they hear, they're about to hear their mission and what he wants them to do. If they so choose to accept it. And, and the story goes, he gives them their mission, and this is the story we're going to read, and then uh, the tape doesn't self-destruct in a, in a cloud of, of smoke. What actually happens is that Jesus goes up in the clouds himself, if you remember, and he's ascended. He goes up into the clouds of heaven, and he leaves his followers, and he leaves you and me with our mission. And so let's go ahead and read this account. If you have your Bibles, uh, the book of Acts is where we're going to be. I'm going to go ahead and start reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we're going to read through this together, and then we'll go back and specifically look at verses 6 through 11. But I want us to see the general context here. And so uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, read along with me. If not, go ahead and listen. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So then they had come together, excuse me, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he, and when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We have the reading of, of God's word. And so this is the general context that we're going to be taking a look at. And we're going to begin... At verse 6. And so if you're taking notes, if you have a notebook and you want to know kind of the general outline, where we're going, we've basically got three sections here that I want to focus on. Uh, verses 6 through 7, um, we're going to see a misplaced mission. I call it a misplaced mission. And so verses 6 and 7, Jesus is going to address a wrong or a misunderstood mission of the disciples. Then number 2, uh, in verse 8, uh, simply we're going to see the mission. We're simply going to see Jesus describe the mission, both of his early followers and of you and I today. And then thirdly, uh, verses 9 through 11, 
is what I call the passing of the mission. The passing of the mission. And Jesus is going to officially pass the baton, if you will, of the mission onto his followers. And so starting in verses 6 and 7, what we see is a misplaced mission. Again, a bit of, a bit of context. Uh, Jesus has uh, been resurrected. He, uh, in summary, J- uh, Luke tells what Jesus has been doing. He's been showing them many proofs. He's been demonstrating the reality that he has been resurrected, that he's real, and that he's really alive. He's been teaching them as well during this 40-day period. He's instructing them. And Luke tells us that he's instructing his disciples about the kingdom of God, which is going to come up in verse 6. Not only that, uh, but he has told them to wait. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Uh, John the Baptist baptized you in water. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, so wait in Jerusalem. And so this is where we pick up the story. Verses 1 through 5 in the gospel or the, the book of Acts is kind of a summary statement of what Jesus was doing before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. The scene then focuses and so in verses 6 and 7, we're going to, uh, which is where we're going to be, the scene shifts and the scene focuses. And what we have is, is the disciples are gathered. Uh, disi- uh, other uh, biblical texts tell us that they're discipled, they're gathered on the Mount of Olives. And so they're gathered together. And notice the first thing that we see uh, in this interaction that Jesus uh, has with his disciples. Verse 6, there's a question, right? So when they had come together, they asked him, uh, here's the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is a very interesting question. Remember in verses 1 through 5 that Jesus had been teaching them and instructing them about the kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God. And so they ask him, they say, is now the time? Uh, this was not an unusual question. This is not a question that's way off base. Um, Jesus had said, the Holy Spirit is coming. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when you read in the Old Testament, the coming kingdom of the Messiah, his literal kingdom on earth, when the Messiah will come and reign and, and, a, and a national Israel will be at the center of all of this, is connected with the coming of the Spirit. And so this is not a wrong question. It's a right question. They want to know, is now the time? You've been teaching us about the kingdom of God. Will you now establish your kingdom? Will Israel be set free? Is now the time? It's a legitimate question. It's not a wrong question, but it's a misplaced question because notice the answer that Jesus gives them. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so essentially what Jesus says is this. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say wrong question. He doesn't say you shouldn't have asked. He doesn't say the kingdom is not coming. He doesn't say I'm not ever going to come back to establish my kingdom. He says, don't worry about it. (laughs) That's essentially what Jesus says. He says, your priorities are misplaced. Now is not the time. It's not the time. The Father knows when it's going to happen. You don't worry about it. And so he essentially says, don't worry about it. That's not what you need to focus on. I have a different kind of kingdom for you to focus on. And so Jesus says, it's not your mission. And so the first thing that I want us to see in verses 6 and 7 as it relates to the church knowing their mission, our church, knowing our mission is simply this. Jesus first had to displace their misplaced mission. To get that, Jesus had to displace their misplaced mission. They had a misplaced mission. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't the right 
timing. They had something else in mind for their mission. And Jesus says, no, that's not the time. But this is going to be your mission. And so if you're jotting down notes, write this down. This is our first application statement for the morning. What does this mean for us? Well, simply this. For us to be on mission... For us, Grace Bible Church, for me and you as a follower of Christ, for us to be on mission, we must displace our misplaced mission. We must displace our misplaced mission. Uh, An interesting uh, story, or it's really just a a quick uh, fact that I came across. There was a a church um, in New York in, in 1963. And it was called uh, the University Christian Church. And so it, it was a church that had been around a while, uh, New York City University Christian Church. And sadly enough, in 1963, uh, the church came to a place to where it closed its doors. Um, it shut down. The church went out of business, so to speak. And the sign that the church members, or at least the existing church members, placed on their doors, I think, says a world about why that happened. The sign on their door uh, read like this. Gone out of business, didn't know what our business was. Gone out of business, didn't know what our business was. And you know, I think that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples and with us. Oftentimes as churches, I think we can lose what our business, what our business is. We can have misplaced Missions. I was listening on the way uh, to church this morning as I was heading out, um, and I was just list- flipping through the channels, and I, uh, you know, caught a preacher on some channel that I listened to, and he was talking about the very same thing that I was going to talk about this morning. So I said, I better listen to this. And uh, this is a quick quote that he said. He said, uh, he said, uh, churches without evangelism uh, become selfish and ingrown. Churches without evangelism become selfish and in grown. That's what happened to this church in New York City. They didn't know what their business was. They needed someone to displace their misplaced mission. And so the question that I want to pose for us for application's sake is this. What does it look like for a church? What does it look like for our church? How can we have misplaced missions? How can we not be going about the business, if you will, that God desires for our church. I think it can be a lot of things. I think there can be a lot of things that misplace, uh, that come into the picture, that we make our mission that really shouldn't be our mission at all. And I'll just throw out a few uh, ideas here. Number one, finances. I think a lot of churches uh, think that they are on mission when financially things are going well. When the budget is being met, when giving is steady, when there's a surplus at the end of the year, when people are giving consistently, they tend to think, we're doing good. This is successful. We're meeting our goal as a church. And that's a wonderful thing for us to do. But if if we think that consistent giving and financial stability and financial success, if you will, equals God's mission, equals success, then we may have a misplaced mission. Uh, Number two, attendance. Attendance. I think a lot of churches tend to think attendance is good, attendance is consistent, we're gaining families, uh, things are going smoothly, people are showing up to our special events, Uh, people show up when we have Christmas Eve services or when we do this or that, and attendance is steady or consistent or even growing. We tend to equal 
I think that that equals success. We tend to think we're doing well. Our church is meeting its mission. But if we think that mere attendance equals mission, then we may have a misplaced mission. Here's another one, stability. This is one I think that I fall into personally. Stability. I think we tend to think uh, that when relationships within the body are healthy, um, which is good, and they should be, when there's not fighting, when there's no conflict, when there's no conflict of interest, uh, when, uh, you know, when, when things are generally healthy and people are getting along and everyone's united around a, a common vision. This is a wonderful thing, and it's a blessing from the Lord. But if we think that just because things are peaceful, that we're meeting our mission, then maybe we have a misplaced mission. And so as a church, I want us to begin to think about some of our misplaced missions. What is it that we maybe put in that slot of the mission that we're about to see in verse 8? My hope is that we won't become like the university Christian church that ends up saying, gone out of business. We forgot what our business was. We forgot our mission. But what about you and I? I mean, what about you and I as individuals? Uh, The church is simply a collection of believers who are united by faith in Jesus Christ. We're brothers and sisters. Um, But I think we individually can have misplaced missions. And so let's think about this for a little while. I want to challenge you to think um, about what your mission is in life. And not just what your mission should be, but what your life says your mission is. This is a hard thing. As I began to think about what I do, uh, how I live, what I live for, what brings me happiness and satisfaction and joy. Um, And I began to think about the big question. Why am I here? I mean, what is really my mission in life as an individual believer? Is it the mission that Christ has given me and will give us in verse 8? What are we here for? There's a story that uh, an author by the name of J.M. Boyce He's written a book called Learning to Lead. And he tells a wonderful story about Yogi Berra. I don't know if you know who Yogi Berra is. He's a, he's a baseball legend. Uh, he was a catcher for the New York Yankees. Um, he um, not only was a very good ball player, but he was, quite, he was quite a character. And so I would like to read this story that J.M. Boyce tells <clears throat> in his book. It goes like this. Uh, he, he writes, There's a story involving Yogi Berra, a well-known catcher for the New York Yankees, and Hank Aaron, who is a baseball legend, one-time home run leader, who at the time was the chief power hitter for, for the Milwaukee Braves. He goes on to write, The teams were playing in the World Series, and as usual, uh, Yogi was keeping up his ceaseless chatter, intending to pep up his teammates on the one hand and distract the Milwaukee batters on the other hand. And if you know anything about, Milwaukee, uh, about Yogi, that's, that's kind of what he's known for, as he yaps, 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 and says silly statements, and this is Yogi Berra. And so he says, as, as Aaron came to the plate, uh, Yogi tried to distract him by saying, Hey, Henry, you're holding the bat the wrong way. You're supposed to hold it so that you can read the trademark on the side of the bat. Aaron didn't say anything. The next pitch came, and he cracked one right into the left field bleachers. Home run. After rounding the bases and tagging up at home plate, Aaron looked straight into the eyes of Yogi Berra, and he said these words, I didn't come up here to read. I didn't come up here to read. Um, you know, Yo- uh, Hank Aaron knew 
what his mission was as an individual person on his team. He knew that his mission was to be the best batter that he could be. And he wasn't sidelined. He wasn't distracted by the ceaseless chatter. He knew his personal mission. And so what about you? Do you know what your personal mission is? I think there are a lot of things that we can uh, misplace. I think there are a lot of things that can become our mission as people. Maybe being a good parent, maybe being the best mom, the best dad that you can be, maybe if you were honest, that's what you live for. That's your mission. That's your ultimate goal is to be the best mom or dad that you can be. Maybe if you're in business, having a profitable business, and that's a good thing. I want your businesses to be profitable. Um, But if that becomes the overarching mission of our life that supersedes everything else, simply making a profit, having a successful business, then we have a misplaced mission. Maybe it's uh, for you young folks, just being popular. That's a big thing when you're in school. You want to be popular, you want your friends to like you, and maybe that becomes really your goal in life. You would be happy and satisfied just if you were popular, if people liked you. Uh, For some of you, maybe retirement. Maybe it's you're in the midst of retirement. Maybe uh, retirement is on the horizon and you're anticipating that and you're saving and building. Or maybe you're enjoying retirement right now and all, uh, all the fun things that come with retirement, grandkids and time away and hobbies. And maybe, if you were honest, maybe that has become your mission in life. Maybe that's what you're living for. There's a lot of things. And so I want to challenge us. Uh, Application number one, for us to be on mission, we have to allow God to displace our misplaced missions. Uh, So we've seen a misplaced mission, verses six and seven. Finally, in verse eight, we see the mission. And so Jesus has said, this is not your mission. This is a misplaced mission. I have to displace it. This is what you should be about, verse eight. And so he gives us the mission in verse eight. Let's read this together again. But... Uh, that's a very important word. It's a contrast word for those of you in Sunday school this morning. Um, Jesus says, that's not what you're supposed to be focusing on, contrast. This is, this is what you should be focusing on. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the uh, end of the earth. Um, there are a lot of things we can notice here, but I, wanna, I want us to see three things. Uh, if you're jotting notes, jot this down. Three things about our mission that I want us to understand. Number one, uh, our mission is spirit-empowered. It's spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled. Notice the first part of verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he, he looks ahead to the day when the church is born when the baby of the church is born at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell those who place their faith in Jesus Christ and they are born again. And he looks forward to that day and he says, in that day, when the Spirit comes upon you, when the Spirit indwells you, you will receive power. And what that indicates is that at that point, they didn't have power. What that indicates is that the mission that he was giving them then, they couldn't do. They didn't have power within them. They needed power from an outside source. And that outside source, as Jesus points out, is the third person of the Godhead. God himself was coming. The Father sent the Son, and the Son was incarnated at Christmas. We celebrated Jesus coming to earth. Jesus is now going to leave, but guess what? 
God isn't leaving. The Spirit is coming to enable them. Number two, it's not only Spirit-empowered. Our mission is simply being witnesses. It's simply being witnesses. It's not complex. It's not rocket science. This is very clearly what Jesus wants us to know. It's testifying, being a witness, telling other people about what they have seen. Specifically in this context, about Jesus and his resurrection. I mean, we can kind of, it's, it's so, we're so used to the idea that Jesus was resurrected, but put yourself in these guys' shoes. They had seen him flogged, bloody, broken, bleeding, disfigured. They couldn't see him. He was put in a tomb. They saw it themselves. And then he's back. And he says, here I am. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a dead person rise from the dead before. It's never happened before until Jesus. It's not like a common thing. And so what Jesus says is, you need to witness of this. What is a witness? It's, it's a simple idea. When you're a witness in court, you, uh, you're on the stand and they ask you questions and you're an eyewitness because you tell other people about what you had seen or what you had experienced, right? And the best kind of witnesses in court cases are not uh, the kind that tell the facts of what they know about a subject, but the best kind of witnesses are what? Eyewitnesses, right? That's the best kind of a witness, is the, is the witness that has seen and experienced something, an event. And so these guys had seen, they had personally experienced Jesus being resurrected. And so Jesus says, what I want you to do is very simple. <clears throat> Go tell them about it. <laughs> Go tell them about me. And when you read the book of Acts, it happens. Uh, the word witness in some way, shape, or form shows up 40, almost 40 times, 39 times in the book of Acts. This is a book of witnessing. That's what they do. And they do it verbally. They do it through what they uh, do, miracles, signs, wonders, how they treat one another. There's a lot of ways that they witness. But primarily, they witness with their mouths. They simply tell people about the risen Jesus. And that's why in the book of Acts, there's so many sermons There are so many sermons, but not the kind of sermons that you think that I'm sitting up here and you're sitting in the pew. The kind of sermons that they give are out on the streets. The kind of sermons that they give is as they're ministering to one another and they tell people about Jesus in their everyday life. That's what being a witness is, and that's what we're called to do. Third, um, being a witness means our mission must be to everyone. Our mission must be to everyone. To everyone. Notice what Jesus says. And you will be my witnesses. He moves from Jerusalem, which is where they were out. Jerusalem, city, Judea, region, Samaria, region to the north, end of the earth, everywhere. And so, simply put, Jesus says that there's really no one that we shouldn't be on mission to. We should go to all people, all places, all ethnic groups, all socioeconomic groups, all religious groups. No one is excluded. Everyone needs to hear about the risen Jesus and place their faith in him. And so these are the three elements of our mission. It's spirit-empowered. It's being a witness. It's to everyone, anyone and everyone. So what does this mean? A couple application statements. Write this down. Number one, for us to be on mission, for us to be on mission, we must rely on the Holy Spirit. This is not hard And maybe this is not new information for you. But do we do it? That's what I really care about. You may know it, but do you do it? Do I do it? 
For us to be on mission, we must rely on the Spirit. Uh, as I've said before, Jesus makes this very clear. The mission that he's going to give them, they must have God's help. They must rely on the Spirit. It's Spirit-empowered, Spirit-led, Spirit-enabled. If they and if we simply go and try to fulfill this mission, and try to be witnesses in our community, and in our relationships, and in our family, and at our workplace, and in our town, if we just try to do it, we try to try to you know, grind our teeth and just kind of do it, it will be utterly unsuccessful <laughs> because there has to be a supernatural element involved. Um, when I was uh, at home over Christmas break, Shelly and I went to Texas near Austin, kind of outside of Austin, and uh, not to rub it in your face or anything, but when we got out of the airplane, it was 70 degrees. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and so we had a wonderful time in the hot sun. And my point is that it was hot enough for Asher to play on the playground outside. He hasn't played on the playground for several months now. Um, but it was warm, and so we took Asher and my little niece, Addison, to play on, uh, on the playground. And long story short, on that playground, there was a particular um, element, a particular toy, for lack of a better, a better word. And maybe you're familiar with it. You know, the, the playground is usually elevated, you know, and there are things for them to play on, and it's elevated. And this one was probably elevated maybe this high, three feet at the most. It, it was a little kid one, you know, it wasn't real high. And they had uh, several different ways of getting up on this playground, but one way was kind of like, a, like an arching kind of a ladder. You know what I mean? Like it, it arches like this, and it has bars, and you climb. Yeah, the kids are like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> imagine adults. I know it's been a while since you've played on one of those. And so anyways, Asher um, is in this stage of wanting to do everything by himself. And it drives us batty, but I guess it's a good thing. Um, he wants to do everything by himself, no help. And so he started to climb up on this thing. And, th- and the danger wasn't great. Like I said, two or three feet, you know. But he wanted to climb up the ladder, up this little arch kind of a thing, to the thing, and I knew he couldn't do it. I knew he couldn't do it by himself, and I knew if I let him do it by himself that he would fall, and that he would likely hurt himself. And so he starts to climb up, and I say, Asher, let Daddy help you. And guess what he said? No. <laughs> no. He says, me, me, which means I want to do it. And so, me, me. And so I say, and, and so in my parenting genius, I said, uh, you go ahead and do it. I didn't think it would hurt him that bad. And so he starts up it, and he does very well. And in fact, I think he gets to like the very second to last rung, and he's very close. But he just can't make that last, you know, he just can't reach that very last one. And so he tries, and he slips, and he kind of, you know, kind of gets him right here, you know, and uh, just kind of hits him, and he kind of falls. And I, I'm right there. So the moment he slips and hits it, I, I catch him, you know, so he doesn't fall all the way down to the ground. And of course, he starts crying, and, you know, he's, he's fine. He's a tough kid. I said, Dad, Asher, let Daddy help you. And so the next time, he, he's climbing up on, on the ladder, and before he even began to climb, he looked at me, and he said, Daddy, help. He said, Daddy, help. He learned his lesson. He knew that he couldn't do it by himself. You know, sometimes I think God looks at us as the church and our, our, our attempts, our efforts, our ministries, our programs, even us as individuals, what we're doing for him. And uh, I think sometimes he just wants us to say, Daddy, help. That's what he wants from us, is to say, Daddy, help me. 
when we go through the motions, when we serve in that program just to go, when we sit in the pew and we don't really anticipate that God's going to do anything in our life or anybody else's life, when we teach the Sunday school class without praying, uh, when we go to Sunday school unprepared, when we go to our small groups and we really don't care to be there, um, when we don't ask God to move in our church and in our community and, and in our relationships with our friends who are lost, with our family members who are lost, when we just kind of go through the motions, <clears throat> we can't do that. So first, we have to rely on the Spirit. Secondly, for us to be, or thirdly, excuse me, our third application point, for us to be on mission, we must witness to everyone. This is simple. Again, it's not, it's not hard. For us to be on mission, we must witness to everyone. So I want to ask, will we witness to the people in our Jerusalem? Maybe it's a family member that's lost, and you know that they're lost. They're an unbeliever. You refuse to have that conversation. You're scared to have that conversation. I am scared to have conversations like that with my family members. Maybe it's a parent or an employee or a coworker. Uh, maybe it's a close friend that you just won't, haven't, go to that place. Maybe 2011 is, is the time. Maybe this year you do that. What about our Samaria? This is an interesting one. Uh, as probably you know, if you don't know, the Samaritans were half-breed, Jewish and other ethnicities. And so the Jews at that time, including the disciples who were hearing these words, um, they didn't like the Samaritans. They hated them, in fact, uh, for the most part. And they wouldn't even travel through their region. If you wanted to go uh, up to Galilee and you're in Judea, you had to go through Samaria but they wouldn't go through Samaria. They would go around. They didn't like these people. And here Jesus says, those are the people you need to go to. You have to go there. And so what about, what's our Samaria? Maybe it's people who just annoy you. <laughs> Maybe it's someone you don't get along with and there's personality conflict, but you have a relationship with them and God wants you to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's groups of people. Maybe it's different ethnicities. Maybe it's the Hispanic population that may be growing in our community. Will they be welcome here? Will we go on mission with them? Will we share the gospel with them? Will they feel loved here? What about those who are outsiders? Maybe people who moved from Chicago, who didn't grow up here. Will they be a part of our mission? Will they be a part of your mission Will you care to strike up conversations and friendships with them? Will we go on mission? Will we be witnesses to everyone? And before we move on to our last point, we're almost done here. I want to make this point. Um, what we're talking about, the mission of the church and the mission of a believer, uh, taking uh, the tape, if you will, and accepting uh, the mission impossible, um, a witness is a person who has experienced something or has seen something personally. And these people had personally seen and witnessed Jesus. And for those of us who are believers here, myself included, I've not personally, physically seen Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. Um, I've not touched his scarred hands. I've not seen him eat bread. I've not had a meal with him uh, like they have. Um, but we and I have personally experienced Jesus. It's a personal thing. You can't tell other people about something that you are not an eyewitness account for. And so maybe for you this year, maybe, uh, maybe what uh, your application here is not, uh, not being a witness, it's becoming a witness. Maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to experience the risen Jesus Christ who died for your sins in your place, who 
by trusting and receiving in what he has done, simply by faith, you are transformed and you receive the spirit like these guys are gonna do and you're born again and then you become witnesses. Maybe that is what you need to do this year. Our last, our last section here is verses nine through 11. I call it the passing of the mission. I think this really struck me this, this week as I, as I began to see the ascension of Jesus in a new light. And so verses 9 through 11, we see Jesus giving the disciples their, uh, they, he, he displaces their misplaced mission, he gives them their mission, and then he essentially says, adios, I'm out of here, and he passes on the mission. He passes the torch of the mission. Let's read this together again, 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, wonderful promise of Christ's return. Before, uh, there's all sorts of theological implications. There's all sorts of reasons that Jesus left. But one purpose of the ascension is that it's a passing of the torch. It's like Jesus as the master, as the one who was performing the ministry on earth for all of the years, and particularly the three years that he was in ministry. It's like the master passing on the baton to the apprentice. This is Jesus saying, I'm going. (laughs) And so if anything's going to happen here, if my ministry is going to continue, it's going to be on you. And then he physically, tangibly, leaves them. You may be familiar with a movie, uh, I think it's, oh, several years ago, maybe in the 1990s, a movie entitled The Mask of Zorro. Have you ever seen The Mask of Zorro, several of you? Um, It's a really good movie, actually. I I really enjoyed it from what I remember of it. Um, And in that movie, I think there's a great parallel uh, between what Jesus was doing to his disciples and and the the characters in the movie. If you recall, um, there is a, a guy by the name of uh, Don Diego, and he's kind of the original Zorro. Don Diego, I think he's played by Dennis Haskins, and uh, he's the original Zorro, but he's getting old, and he's kind of gone into retirement, so to speak. And he runs into this guy by the name of Alejandro, who's going to be the new Zorro. And Alejandro is uh, uh, heart sick with revenge. He has lost his brother, he is seeking revenge on this man, and uh, by uh, chance, I suppose, he stumbles into Don Diego and he tells him about his passion uh, to get revenge and he wants to learn how to fight and he wants to become like Zorro to be able to carry out this revenge. And in the meantime, uh, Don Diego takes him in as his apprentice. Don Diego is the master and Alejandro is the apprentice. And for a good length of the movie, he's training Alejandro to become Zorro. He's training Alejandro so that he can give him the mask of Zorro. Um, uh, throughout the movie, Alejandro gets a sense of injustice. He sees of injustices, and he is growing into the man that Zorro should be, who is a fighter for the people and loves justice, and, and he's becoming that, but it's a fight. And at one point in the movie, he is frustrated uh, with Don Diego. He says, forget this, I'm leaving. I don't need your training anymore. And at one point in the movie, he wants to take the mask for himself. He wants to become Zorro before it's time. But finally, after about an hour and a half in the movie, you get this scene. And it's the scene of the passing of the mask of Zorro. And in this scene, the apprentice, Don Diego, passes the torch, passes the mask of Zorro to his apprentice, Alejandro. 
and essentially says, now's the time. Now's the time. Let's watch this together. If we can get the lights, thanks. Leandro. Leandro, listen to me. Can you find your way back to the mine? No. The garage windows were all covered. <laughs> he didn't even trust his own downs. Nor would I. You must go to Montero's house tonight. Break into the chest in his study. Find anything that will tell us what his plans are. People design. the mine are dying. And all I can think of is Capital Love. He will come into your circle soon enough. You need not chase him. I miss my brother, sir. Your brother is dead. We lose the ones we love. We cannot change it. Put it aside. How? How can I do what is needed? When all I feel is... Hided with this. And so the mask of Zorro <clears throat> goes from apprentice, from master to apprentice, and he receives the mission. And so it is with the ascension of Jesus. He had spent several years preparing his followers, and now it's their turn. And now it's our turn to take his mission. So this morning, uh, we've seen that healthy churches, churches that experience growth God's way, they know their mission, and they go on, and they receive, and they accept their mission. And so Grace Bible Church, in 2011, do we know what our mission is? Do we know what our mission is? And like the agents in Mission Impossible, when they receive their mission, when the tape is going up in smoke, the only really question for them and for us is not do we know our mission, but will we choose to accept it? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray um, that you would just cut to our hearts and that you would challenge us to be the people who are on mission that you want us to be. I pray that you would bring us deep conviction for the people who are in our lives who don't know the risen Christ, who have not been born again, who have not experienced what it is to know life in you and have purpose and meaning and hope. Father, I pray that you would give us a deep burden for these people. I pray that you would help us not only to have a burden for them, but have a burden to be witnesses. Father, I pray as the early church as they said when they faced opposition and were told not to witness, they said, how can we not? We can only speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Father, I pray that that would be the cry of our hearts too, that we couldn't help but tell people about what we have seen and about what we have heard. Father, would this year be a year of mission for us? Father, I don't desire and you don't desire that we have a sign outside of our door that says out of business. We didn't know what our business was. Oh, Father, help us to know what our business and what our mission is and help us by your spirit to be faithful and to be effective.
in it. We do love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this year. Father, we pray for your blessings on it. We ask that you would help us to follow you and to love you and to go out into the mission field as we leave this place. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming this uh, morning and uh, go out. Be missionaries. See ya.